Good morning. Welcome to Genesis Metro Church. I, I have to say it. Let's give it up for the band leading us in worship today. <laughs> Man, that was good. That little version of More Than Able. We like that, don't we, Weaver? We like that. We like that. Did you guys like that? I feel like we just had some church up in here already, just getting started this morning. Before we do get started, I want to take a moment and be sure that we spend time honoring the veterans that are among us today as it's Veterans Day weekend. If you have served our country, would you please stand and let us honor you for a moment? Thank you. Thank you for serving. Thank you for sacrificing. I thought to myself, how many military families could sing the song more than able, right? Who am I to deny what the Lord can do? That he certainly protected us, protected you, and gotten you through um, all of your service. And we are grateful to be in America. Absolutely. Thank you for serving. We never, Tim and I come from a long line of veterans. Both of us do. So we always want to take the chance to do that. Today, I'm, uh, I'm Carrie Bourne. I'm Pastor Tim's wife. I'm here to speak. We had a sisterhood conference this weekend. Uh, yeah, it was amazing. About 300 of our closest friends. It was great stuff. We loved it, and we learned a lot about Moses and Miriam and walking in faith. So this morning, I thought I would share some of that with you. Just as um, I was getting uh, ready back there, I want you to know, in case I wonder if anyone else does this. When you're getting ready for something and you're excited, I, uh, I come through the green room back there just for a moment. We have a green room now. We used to just have a backstage Everything feels super fancy. You know, we've been in a plumbing supply warehouse for the last several years, so this is like the lap of luxury, but I'm coming through the green room and I trip. This is while I thank God is happening at the very first song, and I just lose my 32-ounce Yeti boiling hot water tea, just toss it across the room. So if the worship team might find that in the back. I did try to clean up my mess a little, but I thought to myself, isn't that a metaphor for life? We're talking about walking by faith. And I'm tripping up on my way to the stage. That is life, isn't it? I just wonder if anybody else can relate to that. That you might, you're on your way to something big and you trip up all the way there. That's the way all of us come today. Whether or not we're tripping up or we've walked a straight line this morning, God is going to show up for you today and he's going to bring a word. Are we ready? All right, so today is about walking in faith, positioned on purpose, positioned for purpose, that Moses, of course, we know a lot about him, and we can't possibly cover it all in one setting, but Moses is a man that we all are familiar with the name. We know it's synonymous with these big, epic moments of the Bible, big moments that movies are made from. He's got all of these moments, and we wonder, how does a man get to that position? How does someone find themselves? in the place that they are carrying out this, this moment that will live in infamy, as they say, and we will study it for years to come and learn from it. Well, I'm here to tell you today that Moses was positioned on purpose. Moses was absolutely like, he was like the Anakin Skywalker of the Bible, the chosen one. He's the one that God is going to use. And it will be decades into his life before he understands what that might mean. So let's kick it off today. Moses uh, starts out 
God as a tiny baby. That's when we meet him in Exodus chapter 2, and we really see his mom first. Now, to give you a little backstory, this is post-Joseph Egypt, okay? So you remember, if you've been at GM for any length of time, there have been some sermons recently on the life of Joseph, the dreamer, right? Here comes the dreamer, Joseph. Tim just kept going and going and going on the life of Joseph as we were anticipating getting into this building, and he had determined he was not, he's not, wasn't going to stop preaching on Joseph until we moved in. So he kept going and going and going. And this is post, post Egypt. If you remember post Joseph, Joseph's era in his Joseph era, there was favor and Joseph was elevated. His family was brought over. That's kind of the last thing we saw. His whole family was brought over because the King elevated Joseph to essentially vice president. He was second in command only to the King. And he was given all kinds of power. All, everything went through him. His entire family was brought over, given lands and riches and titles and, and animals and livestock and all of, they were all set up. And we see the favor was on them. But now we're a couple of generations later and there's new leadership and power and they're not so friendly to the Hebrew children. So now the Hebrews, which is Joseph's people, the Israelites, God's chosen people, those are synonymous terms. Hebrew, Israelite, God's people, all the same. They're all the same thing. They're all the same people. Now they have multiplied greatly, it says. They just kept having babies and they just multiplied, 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 and there's a lot of them. There's a lot of them. And the king is now a little bit paranoid. Anybody ever heard of a paranoid leadership? Just throwing it out there. I don't know if you've heard of it. I think we can relate to that. We got a paranoid king who is a little bit nervous that they're going to rise up against him. So he's decided he needs to control the population. All right. So he's put a law into place to kill every male baby that's born upon arrival, upon arrival. And so this is the problem. This is where we pick up our story in Exodus chapter two. This is the problem before us. Exodus 2, 2, it says the woman, that's Moses's mom. She became pregnant. She gave birth to a son, Moses. When she saw that he was a fine child, don't you love how mothers describe their babies? What a fine child. I mean, we all know every baby is not cute. Sometimes you're like, whoa, whoa. You need to cook a little longer, or maybe they're a little overbaked. I'm just saying, if you've ever been in a delivery room, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And you're like, and then the spouse is like, oh, aren't they cute? You're like, yeah, no. Somebody show you a picture of their baby, and you're like, oh, man, you got to keep the face on. Like, what beautiful ears find something to compliment? Well, this woman thought her baby was a fine child, fine child. She could, she hit him. So she gets past the moment of birth in the delivery room, essentially. She, he, he survives the delivery room, which was a big deal at this time. And now she's going to hide him for three months. So she hit him. He's a three-month-old. And when she could no longer hide him, she got a basket and coated it with asphalt and pitch and 
put it in the Nile River. Okay, so it says in, a, in, in other versions that I kind of researched, there's a, it's a papyrus basket, but for our purposes, it's a wicker basket from Hobby Lobby that she, uh, she we're going to use today. Now, every time I've heard this story or seen it told, most I grew up in church, so Sunday schools and flannel board Jesus and things, you know, like it was like pictures of uh, this basket with some giant palm leaves draped right over the edge, just ever so gently in this beautiful basket, a serene scene on a waterway, just floating gently down a river until someone lovingly picks up the baby. That's kind of what I went into this with, right? I am 47 years old, still thinking Moses and a gentle basket. But really, look at what it says. It doesn't say that anything was covering over it. It says that she, she painted it, essentially, in asphalt. So she concocted some kind of asphalt, I mean, concoction. I mean, I feel like TxDOT maybe can learn some lessons here from this woman. It takes forever to patch a hole in a road, but this woman figured it out on a papyrus basket back in the Nile. And the, I don't know. I'm like, this is amazing. It's amazing science to me. She covers this thing in asphalt because it has a buoyancy factor. And, she's, and this is her plan. And to put it in the water, she puts it in the reeds of the Nile to protect it from like predators, giant crocodiles in the Nile. Did you guys know that most giant crocodiles in the world live in the Nile River? Yes, so it, it could be said maybe she was trying to protect the baby from the crocodiles. What a plan. This is the plan. Plan B, when I can no longer hide him in my house, I guess they had a safe room or something, and I will fashion some asphalt on a basket and set this thing afloat in a river. Wow, must have been desperate to keep him safe. There must have been no other way because can you think of a more unsafe place for a three-month-old baby who is still nursing, who is still needing mom for everything? At that age, the baby is so dependent on the mother. Most of us who have had babies or known about babies or maybe you've been around it some, they're dependent on the mother. They cannot be separated from the mother. Very difficult to do so, very hard on the baby. So this would have been a pretty traumatic event. She must have had no other option. And what I see instantly is that this mom was willing to put her faith into this basket, into this child, walking in faith, sometimes means you don't know the outcome. Walking by faith means that you're willing to take that step even though you don't know how it's going to turn out. You don't have the answer. You're not sure if it's going to work. You're not sure if it's going to make any sense. You're not sure if anyone's going to support you in it, but you walk in it anyway. And that's what I see her do. And I also see this transference. We know Moses as this man of faith from Hebrews chapter 11. It's like the hall of fame of all the faith builders. There's all these men and women mentioned of all the ways that they have lived out their faith in these strong, courageous, epic moments. Moses is listed there in Hebrews chapter 11. And I see that we have that because his mom was willing to put her faith in this baby, in this basket, and set him afloat and off into his future. She was willing, her faith set that baby afloat and set his future in motion. Do you see how what you do as a parent, it means something? Maybe what we don't do 
as a parent. Had she been passive and just let things play out the way they played out and all of her humanness and all the ways that she could figure it out. Sometimes I think we are, are like that. We think we can come up with a great plan. I'm not stupid. I'm smart. I can figure this out. I can find a way through it. I can finagle things. I can redo the schedule. I can rework. I can give this up over here to add this here. I can figure it out. I will make it happen. And in all of our humanness, we find a limitation because we are human. And sometimes we find ourselves at the end of our plans and we realize when God starts working, that's when the good stuff happens right? And that's what we see happening here. She has concocted a plan, but she knows there's a measure of her that stops when she releases that into the water. The most precious thing in the world to her is in this basket. This is, we'll find out a little bit later, her third child. She's got a five-year-old, a three-year-old, and a newborn baby. The five and three-year-old were already there when this law took place. So they were safe, And now this baby, her youngest, her baby baby, has been placed in this position for God to take over. And I see her being active in this. There is nothing passive about this woman. She is absolutely making plans, but she is absolutely trusting in God to bring it about. She is trusting that God is gonna be God and he's gonna take it and he's gonna do something more. Her faith is active. And I see that take place all throughout the Bible. If you see in James chapter two that it says, faith without works is dead. Faith without actions is dead. If she had stayed to herself in her home, in her four walls, with the baby hidden maybe in a floorboard or in a back room or in somewhere. When the baby starts crying and they come for him, what is she gonna do then? She knew she was getting to the place she couldn't hide him anymore. She had to take a step, even if a step made no earthly sense. What we see is that active faith makes a difference. Active faith, that's what we remember. That's what we're talking about all these years later. We also see a great verse, and I don't remember the exact address, but I think you have it. It says, I'm reminded of your faith. Paul is writing this to Timothy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith that began in your grandmother and your mother, and now I see it's in you. But do you see these women, there's an active faith being passed down from one generation to the next. That's what we're called to do. At Genesis Metro, we say, we're, we invest in the next generation. We're all about the next generation. But what if you were all about the next generation in your home? What if you adopted that in your home? That it's, it's on you to be sure that the next generation that's raising under you, those kids that are in your house, they understand, they have a working understanding of active faith. Have they ever seen you take a step? Have they ever seen your faith become activated by something that didn't make sense? But you can explain why we were doing this, why we were following, why we were sacrificing. That resonates and it lives on because passive faith dies, but active faith lives. It lives on. It lives on past you and past even your kids. So when I look at that relationship between faith and action, this mother with trembling hands and a broken heart, tears all down her clothing, 
setting that faith in motion. There is power in a moment when sacrifice is required and sacrifice is involved and you give it just because God asked you to. Man, there's something about that. There's something that to remember, there's something to learn from, and we see this mom passing that on to her kids. So that's the first big thing with Moses and his Moses moments. The next thing, I'm going to jump way ahead because we don't have time for all the in-between, but Moses' life is really, really in like three 40-year sections. You could section it up like that. The first 40 years, he's in Egypt, like we've talked about, and then the next 40 years, the middle 40, he is in the desert. Now, how does he get there? What happens is he basically kills a man in Reno, and he has to run, okay? He has to get out of town. That's where the Johnny Cash song came from. Did you guys know? From Exodus. I'm kidding. It's not in there. I had some of you convinced for a moment. He kills a man. He has to run, literally. This, the Bible is not boring. If you thought it was, it is not boring. This whole story is absolute craziness. It's just cuckoo crazy pants. So he runs and runs and runs and runs, goes away. Now remember, he was under this, he was raised in the Pharaoh's household, right? So part of the thing we're skipping through is when mom set him off in the river and in the basket, the Pharaoh's daughter found him crying, scoops him up and raises him, adopts him as her own. He's an adopted son. He's raised to our knowledge as just a royal son, right? He's a royal, part of the royal family. Anybody royal family watchers in here? Anybody watching all the drama play out? I don't know. I maybe have gotten up at like 3 a.m. to watch funerals and weddings. Anybody else? Okay, I'm not the only crazy one in here. All the men are like, what are you talking about? Sisterhood illustration, so sorry. I'll try to keep it neutral here this morning. So he's a royal. He kills a man. He has to run. Now he's a prince, essentially, the prince of Egypt, that nice cartoon, uh, that animated movie that was made, DreamWorks, I think, back in the early 2000s. Great movie. You should go watch it. I don't know that it's all biblically accurate, but pretty close, pretty close. Christina Aguilara is in the background singing. Isn't that her song? What is that song? Do you remember? I wish I could remember it. Now it's going to drive me nuts. Someone Google that. You can yell it out when you find the answer. All right. Prince of Egypt. Distracted squirrel. Tim would say squirrel moment. So... He's raised as a, what is it? When you believe, remember? I'm not going to sing it because I can only remember the one line. Hmm, you will when you believe, something like that. Okay, back to Moses. He's run, he builds a life in the desert. He lands in the middle of nowhere, a town called Midian or Marvel put nowhere on the map. There is a town called nowhere in Marvel. Do you guys remember that? You're welcome. All right, so he runs, he builds a life, he finds a wife, he gets married, he has a, a mentor, he learns, he grows, and learns a bunch of leadership principles. Apparently Jethro was like the first leadership, John Maxwell that ever was, was Jethro, his father-in-law, great leader. He has kids, he has, he's a shepherd. This is where he learns to be a shepherd, which I thought, what a nod to the future. This man was going to shepherd people through the wilderness the rest of his life. Little did he know the sheep probably were preferable over what he was about to have to go through. So God finds him out in the middle of the desert. So to our knowledge, he's raised as a prince of Egypt with Egyptian culture, with Egyptian customs, and he is now, he now runs to the desert, and then well into that, God finds him out in the desert. Around 80 years old is when God finds him at the burning bush. 80, eight, zero. 
and God says, you got to come back with me. Listen, it's bad. It's real bad over there. It's gotten so much worse since you left, and I need you to come and be the man that's going to set them free. This man is 80 years old when he hears the first word uttered of his calling in life, his purpose, 80. Have you ever waited 80 years for anything, anyone? Obviously, that's a rhetorical question. We don't want to wait for Chick-fil-A. I don't want to wait on people that can't figure out the carpool line, but I won't get into that this morning. I really pretty much dissected that topic on Friday at Sisterhood. Read your emails, help the school, just get in the right lanes. Have your kid ready before it's your time. That's all I'm going to say. Don't start getting the backpack on once you get to the front of the line. That's your PSA for the day. Carpool line. The world will thank you if you can just get that right, okay? I don't want to wait for that, you know? I don't. I'm conditioned without patience. Our kids are conditioned without patience. If we don't have food, let's just door dash it. Anybody? The first time I remember Titus door dashed McDonald's in high school, and I was like, appalled. Like, what is this? What are we doing? Who, how entitled are we that we can just order McDonald's anytime we want and have it delivered? Now, I mean, there's food showing up in our door all the time, day and night at the Bourne House. We keep DoorDash in business. We're so frequent on DoorDash, they don't even charge us fees anymore. We're like top level, ambassador level for DoorDash. I'm just saying, what kind of world are we living in, right? This man waited 80 years, and honestly, I don't think he was sitting around waiting for God to spell it out for him, but I wonder what we would do if we thought we had a calling and we had to wait that long. Would we even know it if it came to us? Would we find ourselves standing in front of a burning bush on fire that was burning but not burning, hearing a voice thundering from it saying, I am God, I want you to listen, take off your shoes, you're on holy ground. There's this crazy scene happening. And Moses, don't I wish I could tell you that he said, here I am, God, just send me, I'll do whatever you want. But he didn't say that. I think Moses is so relatable because he's so like us. He said, whoa, 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 wait just a minute. Uh, I'm not going anywhere with you. First of all, I don't even know who you are. And then God gives them this long diatribe. If you ever ask somebody a question and they just nerd out on the answer, like if you ask Tim, he went fishing yesterday with his buddy Blake and they had a tournament. And if you ask like, how'd it go? You better just get comfortable, get some popcorn, get some soda. He's got a, he's going to tell you about every cast, every cast, every hole. Da, da, da. Used to be golf years ago when we were first married. If I was like, how was golf today? We go through 18 holes and I mean, I'm lost somewhere around three, you know, and he, he likes, I mean, have you ever known someone that could just nerd out with you, right? And sometimes Tim will notice a look on my face and be like, I lost you a while ago, huh? Where, where'd you pick up? I'm like, we're good. I get it. You didn't catch anything. Wish you could have. Almost did. Good to go. Didn't get the PB. Okay. Summarized. But God starts nerding out on his answer to Moses. This is who I am. I'm Yahweh. I'm the great I am. I'm the incommunicable name of God. I'm all these things. That's who you tell him sent you. And then he keeps going with all these chapters and chapters and chapters of Moses going, well, I can't really talk well. I mean, I don't know if you know in front of people, I kind of lose it. I can't speak in a microphone. Like I don't talk in front of people. I don't, I mean, like I'm not extrovert. I'm an introvert. I need to be at home. I don't like peopling. I mean, he's essentially saying all the things we might say to God. 
And God is just answering everyone until he finally has enough. And he's like, look, we're going. I already told your brother, we're on the way. And he's already halfway here to meet you. Don't you love how God puts that in motion before you even said yes? He's not waiting on you to tell him yes. He's just gonna come get you. He's gonna meet you in the middle of nowhere and he's gonna bring you to do what you were born to do. So Moses comes with him. And of course we know what happens, right? He and his brother, Aaron, apparently Moses really can't talk very well. He's a stutter issue. So Aaron is going to speak for him. They go before the king, and he's got his staff. He always has his staff. By the way, I love that prop in his life. It was used to shepherd, but now he's going to shepherd people, and he's going to show the power of God through it. And they say, hey, Pharaoh, what's up? Hey, it's good to see you. I know it's been a few years. I know I killed that guy, but I need you to let these people go. Now, at this point, these people, it's more like a million. This is not a few hundred. This is not a few thousand. This is over a million people are the Hebrews, Israelites, God's people, over a million. I know everybody is on pins and needles making sure I don't drop this thing. I did drop it Friday night. It just went tumbling, at least that way. It didn't hit me in the head. He asked him nine, ten times. No, no. The answer is no, you're not taking them. No, they cannot go with you. No, 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 no. Every time he says no, that night a plague visits the land. All of the Hebrew children, all their livestock, all their people, all their health, all their homes are preserved and safe from these plagues that hit in the middle of the night. And all of the Egyptians are hit by it, whether it's a tornado or locust coming and swarming everything, boils open, sores appear on their skin, the water turns to blood, the water source coming out of your faucet, water everywhere. This is what happens. Finally, at the end of this nonsense, where God, I mean, is being God, right? These are these epic Old Testament moments. He says, yes, you can take him. And this is after what's interesting. The last plague is that every Egyptian firstborn male in their household dies one night. I wonder if God ever remembers those things that were put into place years ago. God's justice is always greater than our justice. That's just a free, let's tuck that away. You don't need to take justice into your own hands. You just need to follow the God who does. He will take care of it. So he says, yes, you can take them. Take them. I don't want to see you again. And in fact, take them, take food, take money, take riches, take grain, take rice, take livestock, take mules, take cows, horses, take everything, take it all. Just get out of here. I want you to have so much that you never come back and ask me for anything. So they take it all and they ride out into the sunset, which is out in the middle of nowhere again. And they go as, as, as hard as they can, as long as they can, as far as they can, until they come upon this great river that they cannot cross. We know the story, right? We know what God does. He parts the waters. But once they get there, let me ask you this. Do you know this part? When they get to this Moses moment, we started out with a basket and some asphalt on a river. Now we've got a staff and a million people and a river for this next Moses moment. And they get there and they can't go anywhere. They're stuck. They're on the edge of this riverbank. These people are all spread out. And suddenly they start hearing something behind them on the mountain ridge, just over the shoulder. The kids see the dirt and the rocks 
thundering on the ground as it gets closer and closer and closer. And look what it says in Exodus 14, 10. This is where we pick this up. It says, as Pharaoh approached, the Israelites, that's the Hebrews, they look up, they can hear it, they see something's coming, and there's the Egyptian army marching after them. And they were terrified. Wouldn't you be terrified? Oh, yeah. I would be terrified. As soon as my kids started asking me, what's that? I would have looked at my husband and said, what, what's that? What's the plan now, right? I mean, all the, all the wives are looking at their men like, what did you bring us out here? What are we doing? What are we going to do now? We can't go forward. We certainly can't go backwards. They're behind us. What are we supposed to do? Now, keep going as we look at what else they begin to say. They instantly are terrified. Instantly. And they said to Moses, was it because there were no graves left in Egypt that you brought us out here to die? Was that, is that why? Do you hate us so much? What have you done to us? Do you see the blame that instantly takes place at the first sign of, I can't go any further. At the first sign of can't, there's blame. I wonder who that might be for today. At the first sign that it can't be done, you instantly start blaming God. You start blaming the God representative. Start blaming your family. Start blaming people around you. Now remember what they've just gone through. What they've just walked and been through is watching God provide for them over and over. These are not old stories that somebody is passing down to them through time. This is not stories from their grandparents. This is real, fresh inspiration that they have watched Moses go before Pharaoh, the king, on their behalf to set them free because they cried out to God and he heard their cry. That's what it says. And so they've watched God bring this man to be their mouthpiece. I think God brought Moses because he was familiar with the palace. He was familiar with Pharaoh's family. At least he knew some people probably still working in the palace. He brought Moses back. And every time that Moses went on their behalf for them as a representative to ask Ask for freedom to be set free from this impossible life that they found themselves caught in, then God worked on their behalf when Pharaoh said no. Not only like God kind of took care of it, he brought tornadoes. He started wiping out the people that were saying no. He started making sure that everyone knew that the God of Moses was God Almighty, was Yahweh, was the great I am. There was no question Moses God was the man. No question. And instantly at the first sign, they know that God has made this happen. They are familiar with the whole thing, how this whole process has played out. Nothing has been hidden from them. And instantly they forget that spiritual high and they go back to the same old complaints that they've been throwing out for years and years and years. And they doubt and they wonder and they blame and they can't believe it. And now what we see is this is the moment that Moses was positioned for. This is the moment that he was purposed for. This is why his mom set that basket in the water because it was this moment right here that God was gonna use to bring about the salvation of millions of people. And Moses is positioned and he is ready. And he is, his answer is stop 
being afraid. Go ahead and put those verses up. Just stop. Don't be scared. Easier said than done. Stand still. Just stay right there. Be still and watch God bring about your deliverance. Watch God work. Do you see those Egyptians up there on that ridge, it says? Do you see them? Those Egyptians you see today, you will never see them again after this day because you don't need to do anything. The Lord will fight for you. All you need to do is be still. And that's where we see God being God and positioning Moses to fulfill his purpose on this earth and save his people. Can I get an amen? That's what we see right there. Stop letting fear take over. Stand still and watch God. He's going to fight for you. I wonder if anybody ever needs to hear that God will fight for you. I wonder if that's a cry of anyone's heart that God might see you, find you, fight for you, make sure you're taken care of. What a comfort that might be if God gave you that word. In closing today, I want to talk a little bit about Miriam, Moses' sister. And I want to, we're going to come back to this moment, but I want us to go back for a moment when the basket got put in that water. What we see is this beautiful picture. Now, Miriam was five years old when he was born and when he was put in this basket as a three-month-old. She was five, five. I don't know what your five-year-old can do, but I don't know that I ever had a five-year-old that could do what this little girl did. At five years old, it says in Exodus 2, verse 4, that she stood at a distance and she watched her brother to see what was going to happen to him. And it goes on to talk about that as soon as Pharaoh's daughter saw the basket and scooped the baby up, that she runs out of hiding and says, hey, uh, I noticed that's a Hebrew baby there. Would you like me to find a mother to nurse the baby for you? And she's like, yes, that's a great idea. I love it. In fact, just take the baby and just bring the baby back when he's done nursing, which, by the way, in their culture was three years old. Put a pin in that, okay? Just do your own research. A little weird, but that's what they did. So now the mom gets to nurse her own baby for three years because the sister stayed close by, but at a distance to be sure her brother was okay. Man, the wisdom in that. So we see her at five years old as the watcher, And then in Exodus 15, once they've crossed over and they all get through to the other side, we see her as the worshiper in Exodus 15. And it says, Miriam the prophet, Aaron's sister, she took a timbrel in her hand, which I'm guessing is uh, some kind of instrument. I guess it's like a tambourine maybe. And all the women followed her and they sang praises to God and she led them in worship. Don't you see? Everyone in every story is positioned somehow. You have a choice whether you stand in your position and you fulfill the calling that God has on your life. Whether you have to wait 80 years for it or whether you start at five and you continue it all the way through to 85. Whatever it is God has for you, he's positioned every character, every character for a purpose. He's called you And I wonder in the waiting what you will do when you don't know. I love that song we sang. We added that in for a second. We need a miracle. I love that in the waiting, he gets the glory. In the healing, in the breaking, in the breakthrough. All the seasons of life we might find ourselves in. In the waiting times, what will you do? Positioned for purpose. Let's pray. God, thank you for this time. Thank you that you always, always find us. Whether we've run so far away, that it's 
seemingly impossible, or whether just maybe we're standing watching at a distance as a spectator of what you're doing. We know that you find us. God, what I pray today is that you would speak in this crowd, you would speak in this room, no matter where we find ourselves, teenagers, 20s, maybe seasoned and having lived a whole life, not having known what a purpose is. But today would be the day that you would speak that into us. We love you. We ask these things in your name. Amen.